So we'll be picking up our study in 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 12. Uh, and we'll start over in verse 7 again. I just want to cover that again as we start. But the study through Corinthians over this past decade uh, has been called uh, Be a Believer. And really, Corinthians is so good to learn how to just be a believer. And it's good whether you've been a Christian for two minutes or a Christian for 25 years. It's good to remember the basics. It's good to remember the simple things. Like we saw last week, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, right? He doesn't want us to be ignorant of Israel, of the gifts of the Spirit, and of Jesus' return. And like we said, those are things that the churches of ignorant are ignorant of. And... I don't know. I guess we all can be ignorant of certain things, but these are the things that the Scripture doesn't want us to be ignorant. And we remember that Corinth was a wild city. There was sayings to live like a Corinthian, and I hope uh, none of us live like a Corinthian this week, but if we did, there's forgiveness in Jesus, and there's grace to go on. We looked at uh, cessationism and hyper-Pentecostalism and how that the Spirit is still at work today, and we're going to see that in some of the specific ways that the Spirit works, and to not be afraid of Him, that it's not this force of the star wars or force of magic but he's a person and he lives in us and he's going to do things through us and with us um and i didn't look, uh, bring it up last time but there's three greek words that talk about the way the holy spirit uh works in a way in our life uh they're para n and epi p-a-r-a e-n and e-p-i like an epi pen but power means alongside and that's when the Holy Spirit comes alongside you before you've come to faith in Jesus, where he convicts you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. He says, hey, God's forgiven you at the cross. Accept it. This way that you're on is death, right? He comes alongside us. So all of us came to, came to faith in him is by the work of the Holy Spirit, that he came alongside us. It wasn't of, of our own good. Even if someone else ministered to us or, or we turned to faith, it was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He had a, a, a foundational role in your and I coming to faith. And from that, when we come to faith, the word end means he comes inside of us, right? God makes his home in men, in women, in you and I, on the throne of our hearts, as it's said, that he lives within us. And now he says, hey, God loves you. Hey, don't do that, right? All these different things that he convicts us, he reminds us of the word, he encourages us, he gets us through. Um, but then there's also epi. And this means come upon or filling. Um, just imagine sort of like a superpower or if you're in a glow, right? That, that there's unmistakable that it's not you, that it's him at work within you. And whatever that is, whether that's a personal work, free you from smoking or free you from bad language or whether it's, wow, God is doing something and ministering someone else through me. So para and an epi. And we remember that there are different gifts of the Spirit. That he doesn't give everyone the same train set at Christmas, spiritually, so to speak. He gives everyone different gifts. Now, some of us might have all of them. Some of us might have some of them. Some of us might have the same ones as others. But no matter what it is, and no matter how it plays out, like we said, someone might be a missionary to China. Someone might be a missionary to the elementary school that they work at, right? They both have the same gift, but they're exercised, they're carried out, administered in different ways. But we remember that it's the same Lord. It's no different that if god's working in you he's working in me and it's no different it might be a different color crayon but there's still god's crayons and god we thank you this morning that lord you love us enough to come alongside us and convict us of our sin and have brought us to you god that without you we would still be lost we might even be dead 
And in fact, even if we were alive, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And God, thank you that you brought us to that place of uh, brokenness. And God, we thank you that you then lived in us and lifted us up from that mire and brought us to know you more and to be forgiven and to begin to have faith in you and the things you could do. And then from that, as we know you, to fill us and to use us for your kingdom, not just save us out of the fire, but use us to bring about your will here on earth and bring uh, your kingdom uh, to the world. So we ask that you continue to do that, that you'd speak to us in your word as only you can. Bless Pastor Caleb as he's out traveling. And we ask just for your grace and mercy on our study this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. So again, let's look at verse 7 again. We, we looked at it a little bit at the end of last study, but I, I wanted to overlap and start again on it today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone for the common good. And that's the title of our study this morning, given to everyone. So the Bible says, everyone, what does that mean? Everyone. It means everyone who comes to faith in Jesus is given gifts. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone. And that word manifestation means exhibition expression or bestowment is not this strange weird unholy ghost-like oh it, I, there was a ghost in my room and it manifested it's not it's not like that now when i got saved i i sensed god in my room he manifested in the room i didn't see him but i knew he was there and i came to faith i bowed and i asked for forgiveness right but it wasn't a creepy thing it was a holy thing it brought me to a better place in my life not a place where i'm scarred for life but this is supposed to be a holy, orderly, visible, and really palpable proof of the touch of God. That when the Holy Spirit shows up, there's no doubt about it that it was the Holy Spirit working. You may not believe it, but when you believe it, you know it was God. That there's no other way that God was speaking the words He was. There's no other way that the things that happened, happened, but other than the things of God. Now the flesh and an unbeliever might try and rationalize it away, but you know for a fact that it was the Lord. And that, like we said, it was given to everyone. So, are you a believer? Well, it's been given to you. Are you a believer? You have spiritual gifts. There's no doubt about it. It's not just the person speaking. Uh, when we go visit church uh, next Sunday, it's not just the people on the stage. It's not just the people ministering to the kids. It's everyone there who is a believer in Jesus has spiritual gifts. Now, are they using them? I don't know. Do they know they have them? I don't know. But they all have gifts. And we'll see in chapter 14 that they're done in order, right? We're not all going to do the same gifts at the same time. Can you imagine playing a sport and everyone tries to do everything at the same time? No, they need to work together, right? Not everyone can have the ball at the same time. You're going to be a ball hog, right? You're all going to be fighting over something that's counterproductive. And that's not the way the spirit works. And just like you have a body and you have physical talents, maybe you're good at running like my son Jacob. Maybe you're good at, oh, Timmy, sit down, buddy. You're going to fall. Maybe you're good at singing like my daughters, right? Not me. I still like to sing, but I'm not good. But you have a body and you have physical talents in that. Whether it's one or a little, whether it's worthy of an Olympic gold or whether it's worthy of a pat on the back, you still have talents, right? So if you have a body and have talents, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual gifts. 
Because if the Holy Spirit lives within you because of Jesus, how could He not want to give you something? If God loves you and God's inside you, why would He not be involved in your life? Why would He not give you the wonderful things of God? Why would He not use you? And the word use is, is rough. You know, it's more like do things with you, more like you get to do things with your dad than it is usually like, you know, go shine my shoes or something. Because why would he not want to give you something so wonderful as himself? Why would he not want you to experience what it's like to be one with God as he is one with God? As Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father of fellowship, we can have fellowship with him too and to do the works that he does, like Jesus says. I think about, you know, my dad traveled for work and he... Uh, had a commute and all these things. And when he would go away, sometimes he would bring me gifts back. Sometimes I'll bring gifts back for my kids. I remember like an umbrella that he got from work and it was a worthless umbrella, right? You know, it was just merch from work. It was for Hugo. But I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it was my dad's and he brought it home, right? And there's things that I've given to my kids that maybe I didn't even want anymore, but I figured, hey, they might like it and they might enjoy it and they might like that it's for me. Or I have some things for my grandpa, right? That... I didn't get to know him because he passed away early in my life, but I've got them and they're little trinkets, but they mean the world to me because they're special. So if we do that for our children and we appreciate those things from the people that we love, whether it's just something they grabbed at the airport or whatever it is, it could be a Snickers bar, but they were thinking of you, right? How much more so is it with the things of God? Would he not want to give you gifts as he travels from heaven to earth? Would he not want to do that for you, right? Mark 16, 14 through 18. Uh, I think I just read this this morning. Yeah, Timmy and I read this morning. He says, uh, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. So this is after the resurrection. He shows up to the disciples, and he rebukes them for being hard of heart and not believing. He says, Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Uh, you know, they saw Jesus, they came back, and the others didn't believe. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We know that one. We hear that one. He says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak new tongues, and they will take up servants. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We hear that, and we go, okay. But that's what the Lord is saying, that as we go out and we do things in the spirit, signs are going to follow us, right? That people are going to come to faith in him. That, you know, as we'll get into, it doesn't necessarily mean swinging from the chandeliers or picking up a snake on purpose. But like we saw with Paul and Acts on Malta, I was right where they shipwrecked. He was getting the, the, the wood for the fire for all the, the prisoners and the shipwrecked people. And what happened? A snake came out and latched onto his arm and Paul shook it off. And all the honors were stood back and waited for him to die. As we remember, we said this a few weeks ago. He didn't die. That's what Jesus is talking about. Paul wasn't like, hey, look at this sign. I can shake this snake around and not die. Just these things happen. And we talked about that in detail. That as we go out and serve God by his spirit, in his spirit, things are going to happen. Things are going to happen that we can't explain other than it's a work of God. I should have died. I should have gotten hurt. This person got healed. This marriage got saved. This person got saved who never would have gotten saved otherwise, right? There's these things that begin to happen. Sometimes they don't happen because of hard hearts. Sometimes God wants to do them, 
but other times we should expect them. And I think sometimes we don't see them because we don't expect them. You know, I've been selling stuff on Craigslist like lately. The, the used car lot has changed very drastically outside recently. But I have people text me, just let me know when they're going to be here so I know when to expect them, right? Otherwise, I might miss them. They're sitting out by the barn. They're stealing my stuff. I don't know. But the same thing with the gifts of God. If we should expect him to do the things he does, right? That's, that's faith. Saying, God says these things in his word. I expect him to continue doing them in and around me. Not necessarily for me, but I expect to see some evidence of God moving if he's real, right? But the gifts that God will give you he will give you to bring him closer to him as you use them. And not that there's more worth in it, but when I say that, it just means you kind of get to know him a little better. You get to have a little more understanding of who your father is as you see him work, as you see him do things. That's why I love spending time with my kids. I love spending time with my dad or talking to him and just getting to know him a little better. And not just talking about sports, but getting to know him who, for who he is and know what he does during the day. Because as we have that relationship, as we exercise our faith in God, it grows. It's not, it's not complicated. It doesn't take a lot to know God. It just takes knowing Him. It just takes spending time with Him, right? We can't expect to know Him if we don't read His Word. But if we read His Word, guess what? The inverse. We can expect to know Him. It'll just happen. It just begins to grow as you read. And it means believing God at His Word. It means practicing it and expecting it, like I said, but also without doubting. And I think for me, this is the toughest part, without doubting. Because you don't want to go out there and foolishly not doubt, right? You don't want to believe in something that's really not scriptural or really inappropriate. Uh, kind of like Satan was tempting Jesus to do, to step off the temple, the top of the temple, and God will pick you up and not stub your toe. That's not... Not what God wants, but Jesus says with that in Mark 11, 22 through 24, have faith in God. For assuredly, I, this is Jesus. He says, assuredly, do we believe Jesus when he says things like that? Like, truthfully, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, you know, look at the mountains to the west, right? Look at the mountains on your way home and think about this verse. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you may receive them, and you will have them. Now, I'll admit, I've prayed that before, and the mountain didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Why? Well, probably because, like James says, I was praying and I was asking amiss. I was doing it so that I could feel like I had some power, or I was doubting, or whatever. But other times I prayed for things that seemed absolutely impossible, just like moving that mountain into the sea, that seemed absolutely impossible to me, but God quickly brought them to pass. Lord willing, if this van works out tomorrow and they don't rob me, it's not ghosted and it's not totally falling apart, or maybe it is. I, we had been praying for a van. I didn't think I'd be able to find one. Literally the day that we sell the truck, I find this one and message them. And I wasn't even sure about it. And it was, on budget, everything we needed. I know this is practical and silly. It's just a van. But to me, it was like, I don't know how I'm going to find this thing. This thing that we've wanted and desired. And it's all silly. But how much more is God going to do more wonderful things than that in your life? When you pray them, the things that seem impossible with your family, with your marriage, with your job, 
with the call on your life. Ask me a few years ago if I thought I'd be teaching the Bible or in Montana or have friends in our house, any of these things, or have all these kids, and God has done them what I thought was impossible. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and he said to them, with men this is impossible, with, with God all things are possible. And again, God may not answer that prayer you have, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray it in faith until he does give us an answer on that issue. He might, he might say, look, I'm not going to move that mountain. I'm going to make you walk over that mountain. He might say, I'm not going to give you the $100 in the mail. I'm going to give it to you in a job. But he's going to meet your needs and he's going to do it in ways that we can't expect. So not sure what gifts you have? Are you not sure if you're right with God? Well, during this message, I want you to pray. Not out loud, because that would be disruptive and the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. But I want you to pray in your heart and in your mind and see what God will do. Whether it's for that situation in your life, whether it's for that thing you need that, man, you don't see a way for it to come to pass. Or whether it's, God, I don't know what my gifts are. Would you show me what my gifts are? Would you help me understand what the gifts are to even begin with? And would you give them to me? And even, God, I want more gifts. I know I have this gift, but can I have more? Paul says, earnestly seek the better gifts in chapter 14. That's another study. But he talks about that these gifts are for the common good. That chapter 14 talks about the importance of these gifts exercised for what? The edification of the church. That the gifts are meant to build the church up for edification not exaltation. I'll say it again. The gifts are for edification of the church, not exaltation of the person. The gifts are meant to at least build us up personally with God, as we'll see in chapter 14. We talk about tongues and how it really does edify yourself to the Lord. But the greatest of the gifts build the church up. And sorry to the hyper-Pentecostals, tongues isn't the greatest gift, as we'll see. It's a good gift. It's not bad. It's wonderful. That's not the best gift to seek after. And on that note, gifts can't be learned and can't be earned. If you don't have them, if God hasn't given them to you, you ain't taking it out of his pocket. I saw this video the other day of these people getting on the subway, and I didn't even know what I was looking at the first thing, and then this guy like bumps this girl, and she's like, gives him a look. I'm like, what's happening? And then you rewatch it, and you realize that this girl and her friend were pickpocketing this woman in front of him and the guy was filming and let him, letting them know that he saw them trying to do that, right? And he didn't notice at first. But we can't pickpocket the things of God, right? We can't order a book and conjure up this magic spell of the gifts of God, right? You can't Harry Potter the gifts of God. It doesn't work that way. Satanic things might work that way, but holy things don't work that way. Just like Timmy's new bike. I sold his bike for Christmas that he got that he was too big for. And we went out to Walmart yesterday and got him a new bike and he was already starting to ride it in Walmart. Um, <laughs> right? It's a gift. He couldn't get it, right? But even then, it's a gift, right? All he can do is use the gift. All he can do is ride the gift. He can leave it out in the barn for the rest of his life. And maybe we'll have another boy and I'll give it to the other boy. But it's still his bike. It's his choice whether to get on and ride it and exercise it, right? He can earn it, and he can only learn to use it. In Acts 8, you guys remember, might remember this one as well. Acts 8, 18 through 24, 
Simon the sorcerer, not Simon Peter, Simon the sorcerer saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given. The apostles were going on praying for people. They were getting saved and they were laying on their hands and the Holy Spirit was given and gifts were given. So there's a thing to that. But he saw that and I believe in some sense he wanted the things of God, but he was still in such a carnal way as we'll see. He offered them money saying, give me this power. I'll give you 20 bucks. Teach me how to do this. That anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Like he wanted the Holy Spirit. He wanted people to get the Holy Spirit. But listen to what Peter says. Peter says, your money die with you. Well, can you imagine going to church and the pastor says, your money die with you? I think it'd be hard-pressed to find a church in America that a pastor would turn down money. And if you find one that does turn down the money, go to that one. He says, your money die with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. This is a big deal. This wasn't like a little sin. This was a big error that Simon really needed to repent of. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. How many people in the church are poisoned by bitterness and use the things of God or think the things of God are not what they are? And Simon answered and said, Pray the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. And I hope and pray that we see Simon in heaven one day. But he didn't get it. He was in the world. He was a sorcerer in the world. And he saw this great new thing that was even better than him. And he wanted to know that he wanted that power, but he didn't understand the severity of it. And unfortunately, again, you go in those churches that are more on the hyper Pentecostal side. And for example, I like to rag on it because it's easy, but they'll have classes on tongues. Some will even say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Show me that. It says those who believe and are baptized are saved. It doesn't say anywhere anything about tongues, but they will tell you if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Show me that in the scripture. And so they'll give you a class where you go and you learn how to babble. Now, some of the people in the class, I guarantee, have the gift of tongues. But the majority of that class, I guarantee, don't have the gift of tongues. And they'll teach you how to say Honda Accord. <laughs> right? Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I believe that in some sense, at least in my own personal prayer language, as we see in chapter 14, that God has given me the gift of tongues. Now, I'm not going to use that gift here. I don't believe that it work here. But me just going blah, 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 is not going to create the gift of tongues. In fact, you know, like they say, you know, the theory of evolution, they say if you put enough monkeys in a room with a typewriter with enough time, eventually they'll write Shakespeare. That just random chance over time, hitting all the keys will eventually generate Shakespeare. And that's really what they believe with evolution. That randomly over time, eventually Shakespeare DNA will come about. No. But that's what the, some of the church does with tongues. They think randomly over time, you're just going to blah, 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 work your way into this gift. That's the flesh. It doesn't work. God's going, I didn't give you that. You guys look kind of foolish. I don't want anything to do with that. That's not how it works. God is not something to be conjured. God is not someone, not something, someone to be fooled with. If God wants to give you something, he will give it. If he will not give it to you, you cannot get it. But I don't think that's us here this morning. And again, I'd argue that each of us 
have many gifts and talents, ones that we might know deep down, but maybe we're afraid of, or we don't think we're worthy to use, or maybe we just don't even know about yet. I can remember this girl a long time ago in youth group saying she didn't have any talent. She saw herself as worthless, and it was obvious that she would have talents, that she just didn't know what they were, and it broke my heart. It was like my friend's sister, and it was, it was sad to see this girl just have so little worth and value on her life for whatever reason. Because that's not how God saw her. That's not how God made her to be. That's not how God made you and I to be either. If God made you and I, then he probably made you, I know he made you, with wonderful things in mind. But as we look at the rest of the verses, uh, we'll notice that they say the same spirit, by the same spirit. Like we said, many variances, but it's always the same spirit. Again, the world, sometimes even the church, will say things, oh, it was the spirit of this or a spirit of that, or you have a spirit of this in your life. No, no, no. If it's the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God. Matthew 12, 24 through 28. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, Jesus does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. There you go. We're going to see that in a minute. That's word of knowledge. Knew their thoughts. And he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, whom do your sons cast them out by? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying the kingdom of God works for the kingdom of God. It doesn't, if there's some working in the world that says it's the kingdom of God, but it's not the spirit of God, well, that's obvious. If the spirit of God has worked, the kingdom of God advances. No one can resist that. And so if God gives us knowledge, if God causes us to cast out a demon, well, it's by him alone. Let's go on. Verse 8. We'll read through verse 11. And those are the verses we're going to cover for today. It says, To one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom. To another, the spirit, uh, I'm sorry, to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same spirit. You get the sense that this is being repeated on purpose, right? To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But that one and very same spirit works all these, dividing to each one individually as he will and as we see that dividing remember what in pentecost the tongue of fire the fire came down and divided among them all it was the same spirit that came and rested on each of the apostles each of the disciples it was not a different spirit it was not like captain planet heart wind or fire came together to make the holy spirit no the holy spirit came down and he's powerful enough and omniscient and all that stuff to be upon all of us at the same time But verse 8 says, given by the Spirit. Again, these are not impersonal, adjective, spiritual gifts. You know, we say that, that's Christianese. But they are gifts given by the person of the Holy Spirit. Knock, knock. It's the Holy Spirit. I have something for you. I've got something greater for you than that, right? That's his whole ministry. I've got something greater than judgment for you, heaven. I've got something greater than emptiness for you, relationship with God. I've got something greater for you than the regular life. I have the abundant life. Knock, knock. I've got something greater for you than gifts and than talents in your life. I've got gifts for you to live a spiritual life. 
And I don't even want to call them spiritual gifts anymore. I want to call them the Holy Spirit's gifts because they're personal, they're loving, they're powerful, and they're relational with God. It's not just a coin. It's not just a collection. It's not just a, a knick-knack at my mom's house. It's the loving God with us, giving us things day by day, continually, until he takes us home. And the first one is the word of wisdom. I like how this one's mentioned first, wisdom. We've been doing Proverbs occasionally on Wednesday nights here. And I believe I'm teaching on Proverbs, uh, Pastor Caleb's request on Sunday, about wisdom. That wisdom is important. I love how wisdom is the first one. The first one isn't, isn't something that we might think that's flashy and showy and what we might choose as one of the most important gifts. He says it's wisdom. That personally, a gift of God, one of the most important ones to have is wisdom. That as we pray and we seek an answer to God for something personally, it's that logos, that, that written word of God, the evident word of God, like a logo. Like you know Nike by the logo, you know the word of God by what it, the logos. How the written word, that logos, applies to the situation that you can't make sense of. God, I don't understand this. Why is this happening how is this happening? Or what do I do? I don't know. That no amount of charting pros and cons will give you the right answer. I had a friend who was very good at making spreadsheets of pros and cons to help make a decision. I don't think that that's not wise. I think that that's wise. But when it comes to the will of God in our lives, we can't do a spreadsheet of pros and cons. Does God want me to move here because it's nice and sunny? Or does God want me to move here because it's cool and nice in the fall? You're never going to get the will of God. You can't divine the will of God by that. You can't conjure up the things of God with a pros and cons list about what the way things look like on the outside or the way things are perceived or what we like. But the wisdom or the word of wisdom will discern that for us, will be that answer for us, will be that direction for us. But specifically in, in the sense of for the church and edifying the church, it's when we seek advice from others, when we go to others and we're given a word for that person in need, that it's not just what we read this morning. It might be, it's not just what we think is applicable, but as we're sitting there and as we're talking with them or they're talking with us, prayer internally or corporately or externally, however it is, has gone on and God gives you a word for them, a specific word of wisdom. Maybe it's a specific Bible verse them. The Holy Spirit loves to remind us of the Bible verses, right? Or of songs to worship. And like one song we did this morning, just God put it on my heart this morning. You know, I can remember back in New York doing some marriage counseling. It was always awkward being a young kid trying to counsel older folks on getting married on their second marriage, right? And I was kind of going through it and listening to them. And, you know, the lady was really nice and the guy was nice. And I knew she came to church. I wasn't quite sure where he was at. I did some counseling with them, and it was hard because at first I kind of said, yeah, I'll do the marriage. But then I didn't have any, I didn't really didn't have any peace about it, and I was really struggling with it, and I was praying about it. And I remember praying about it, and just the Lord just reminded me about being unequally yoked. And I went and talked to my senior pastor, and I was like, hey, I counseled these people, and I don't think I can do their wedding. Like I was praying about it, and I just don't have peace about putting them together. I can't, I can't bless it. I can't put my stamp of approval on it. And not that he's a bad guy or anything, but I believe they're unequally yoked. And I had to sit them down and tell them that. And it came out that he really wasn't a Christian, that he was Catholic and didn't really have faith 
and the same thing. And he tried to rationalize it. I was like, look, like, I'm sorry. I know I said yes, but I, I can't because you're unequally yoked. And they weren't very happy with me. And that was very hard and kind of awkward, but that was a word of wisdom. In a sense, it was a word of knowledge as we're going to look at it in a minute too. Like, hey, like this word for you is what it is. In a sense, it's also prophecy. In a sense, it's all these other things going on as well. The gifts, the gifts are kind of like, sometimes like a diamond, right? They had different facets or a flower. They've got different petals and they all kind of work together sometimes. But sometimes it can be that, that word given to someone else for you like that. Sometimes it can be an obvious word in the Bible. God, what do I do? And it says, thou shalt not steal. And you go, okay, it really would be stealing for me to do that. But it's the word of God given with special revelation to a specific situation. It's wisdom outside our own practical means by the spirit. So again, it may not be the obvious word, but when it, when it is heard, it makes absolute sense. It's totally obvious that this is the word of God for this situation and it makes everything clear. So two, number two, the word of knowledge. And I think this works with wisdom. They all work together, remember? It's the same spirit, right? So why would they conflict? And why would they not kind of work together like when you have multiple crayons they are going to color a picture? This is the word of knowledge. And I believe this one is a little more intimate. This is the type of one that <laughs> makes you feel like someone's reading your email. I remember the senior pastor in New York always telling us that people will come up to him after service regularly and say, have you been reading my email? Did my wife tell you what we were talking about? And he'd be like, no, I've got no idea. Look, I was just teaching through the Bible that day. But God knows what's going on in your life. And then there'd be an opportunity there to minister there, right? But this can be given personally, whether you're praying about a, a person, a situation, a thing. And you're just given some heavenly insight that no one else would know of, whether good or bad. Um, prophets of old were given insights. And the other kings were like, they, they must have a spy in our midst. Because God was telling them the secret things, right? Um, or like Nathan Nathan goes to David after David had the affair and he gives him that story and David is outraged and Nathan goes, David, that's you. That they knew. Nathan knew. I remember Gospel Bill was trying to set me up with some new girl at church back in the day trying to be the good old pastor friend and I just didn't see it. I kind of said, okay, well maybe it's because like she's got similar hair color than me, maybe because it's like the same height or maybe just thinks it's about time I get married, but I just didn't see it. And I was nice to her and tried to be friends with her. And I, I don't know, I just didn't see it. And so, but I'm like, you know what? My friend is saying this, he's a pastor. Let me pray about it. I remember praying about it. And I, I probably shared this story before because I think it's so funny. I don't know. I've ever heard the voice of God as clearly as I did when I prayed this. And it wasn't like to immediately pray. It was like, I was praying multiple times, but I just felt like the Lord finally answered me and say, no, she's for, and then my other friend's name and they weren't together and they ended up getting married one day. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I had so much relief. Whatever Gospel Bill was trying to do, Pastor Billy, God bless him. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was pressured anymore. I was like, okay, like whatever. It is what it is. I knew for a fact that God had said something else. But that's a word of knowledge. But it could also be insight into someone else's life. Maybe they're lying to you. They're lying to others, like Ananias and Sapphira and Peter said, do not lie to man. You've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. How foolish is that? Where you're just giving a word of knowledge. Like this situation is bad. They're, they're cheating behind the scenes. They're doing this. They're doing that. And, and you don't have any proof of it. But the, word of, but the Spirit of God has just dropped this evidence in your spirit that this is what's happening behind the scenes. And sometimes you even have to confront them. Hey, I know you're sinning this way. Or you're doing this. God's giving his word of knowledge. And like, 
God says that we can't cover our sin. He's going to reveal it in time. But how foolish is that? And that should, that should give us a, a little bit of holy fear there that, you know, I know there's times when I struggle with sin and I go, God, forgive me because I know eventually you're going to tell someone about it. I don't want that day to come. And, and that fear of God helps keep me in check sometimes when I'm struggling with sin. Number three, faith. And this isn't a leap of faith. And I hate that saying. That's a worldly saying because real faith isn't a leap. It's a holy step. It's just the next step with God saying, take the step out of the boat. He doesn't say do a cannonball. He doesn't say jump off a cliff. He just says, step out of the boat, Peter. As much fun as that Indiana Jones movie is when he walks across the path, right? And he has to take a leap out there. It's not quite the way faith works. Faith in Hebrews 11 says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Again, like you guys said, you went to the National Monument and they had signs about millions of years. By faith you know that that's absolutely false. And even by evidence, you just look around, there's tons of evidence for it. But by faith we see that the things that exist, that God spoke them into being. But they came to be out of nothing. Out of nothing came something. And that's a miracle that we're going to see later, that God does things and he doesn't need materials to make it happen. He makes it happen and the materials come about. And, and that could be a word for us this morning, that the things in our life that we can't make happen, we don't have the resources to make happen, that he'll make them happen. He'll materialize them by his word. And again, this isn't for that Ferrari necessarily, or even that transit van like we've been wanting. It's for the things of God. And for the good things of God in your life. But the gift uh, to believe in Jesus, again, is really the gift of the whole, God by the Holy Spirit. That even our basic faith is a gift of God. But sometimes we personally need to step out in that faith. And sometimes it's our faith and our gift of faith that we use to encourage others. When they're struggling. When they're hurting when they can't see ahead of them, but we can impart faith to them by our relationship with God, by that gift of God. Say, God, God's got this. We, don't, we can't see it either, but we know God has it. And our advantage is a little bit easier for them. Our vantage point, rather. And number four, gifts of healings. And this is what it is. It's healings. Look at the disciples. Look at the early church. Look at Jesus. They brought little kids who had died back to life. Do we believe that or not? And like we talked about in our country, I think we're very hardened to this. Our hearts are very hard to the gifts of healings. And maybe it's because all those people on TV, all the false teachers, all the false uses of the gifts, right? And I get that. But I think on the other hand, it's also we're likely to give credit to other means like we talked about, like doctors or medicine or science. But who invented doctors and medicine and science? Well, all real science is God's science, God's knowledge. But God uses these things big time around the world to bring people to faith. Not just to heal them and send them on their way and collect a bill, but to heal them that they might see that God is real, to heal them physically, that they might be healed spiritually. Like when Jesus healed people a lot of times in the scripture, he did it that they might realize that he had the power to forgive sins, that the physical healing was just a little fun, so to speak, a little, a little, a little easy thing for him to do compared to the better, more important healing that we all need of our sins being forgiven. 
In James, Jesus' half-brother, in James 5, 13 through 18, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. That these gifts of healings use faith as well. That gift number three is involved there as well. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. This is a half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe him in the first and came to faith at the resurrection. I think when he says that we can be healed, he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. I know he is. And he says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Listen to this. Remember Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was dirt. He messed up. He sinned. He got angry. He didn't always believe faithfully. But when Elijah was full of the Holy Spirit, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain, not just for the day, but for three years and six months. That's interesting, too, if you think about tribulation. Three and a half years of tribulation to the midpoint. But anyway, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Have you ever prayed that it wouldn't rain? Or that it would rain? Um, I'm sure farmers would. We're a little bit disconnected from the weather. But he, he prayed, and it wasn't that Elijah had power over the weather, but Elijah knew that God had control over everything, even like that. And God used those things. So gift of healings. God can heal you. Pray that God would heal you of things. God would free you of things. The struggles or hurts or pains. You don't need a psychologist. You need the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Or corporately, healing for others around you in the church. Don't be afraid to pray for people who are terminally ill. Don't be afraid to pray for people who are sick. I can be, plenty of times, that was some of the best, best times ever. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, instead of study, we'd have prayer. And a bunch of us would pray, just so it was a little bit easier that no one would take the credit if God did something. But we prayed for healings, and there were healings. Not necessarily right there, but there were people who, whose cancer didn't come back. There's people where cancer went away and they didn't take chemo. But there are other times when cancer did claim people's lives. Even our senior pastor's wife died of cancer. And if anything, I feel like she loved the Lord more than most of us. And she lived healthier more than any of us. But that's what God's plan was. That's what God's will was to take her home. And when we pray for these things, that's what we should pray for God's will to be done. That yes, God, we want you to heal this person but if you decide to take them, that's, that's up to you. But we believe that you can heal, and we ask you to do that. But even if you don't, we still trust you. And again, don't be afraid to pray simply, boldly, honestly for these things. Even for things that seem impossible, or we doubt, or we cringe. Healing? Uh, of course God can do things like that. Even for something simple, like a little boo-boo for Timmy on his foot. Or like I say, cancer. Or even resurrection. I'll be honest with you again. There, we had friends who, a little boy died a few years ago. And we prayed that God would bring him back. And when my best friend died a few years ago, I prayed that God would bring him back. Not for me, but for his family. I know that God can do it. I know that God would do it if it was his will. But God had greater things and greater things to do through them. And just because God doesn't answer and just because it sounds crazy doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for these things. Now, should we make a big show of it? Absolutely not. Because that's not the way it was ever in the Scripture. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. But to think that the living God who came back from the dead 
wouldn't want to hear you pray to bring your friend back or your loved one back, if at all will. When Jesus came back from the dead, what did it say? That the graves opened up and people walked around. It wasn't the walking dead zombies. It was people were alive again. We either believe that or we don't. And so if we believe that, we don't need to be afraid to pray it. But when we pray it, let's pray in faith and not pray for personal glory. Because again, if the disciples were commanded to do it, aren't we disciples too? And if Jesus called death sleep, he called it sleep because for him, it's as easy as waking somebody up. For us, it's a miracle. So as we, uh, I know we got a couple more to look at. Working of miracles, number five. Similar thing here, miracles, things that only God can do. And that's really what all this is, right? And again, like they're listed out in these, uh, what is it, seven gifts here? But they all work together. So that's why I say, like, man, like, you got one? Who's to say you don't have more? And why would you not pray to give more? Why would God not want to give you more of something good? Doesn't he give us an abundant life? Why would he not give you them all? Why would he not? He loves you. He cares about you. He wants you to see him at work. And again, these miracles, these are only an answer from heaven would provide. Moses, the ten plagues. I've never called down plagues. Moses did. Elijah, fire from heaven, burned up the altars of Baal that were covered in He burned up their altar covered in water, and the prophets of Baal, you know, he made fun of them. That's such a great story. The disciples, again, raising people from the dead, casting out demons. And again, this word working of miracles, one way to look at it is power consisting in or resting upon armies forces or hosts that when we pray to god we know it's not in our own strength that he's going to answer it he's going to answer from heaven whether he himself directly does it or he himself sends an angel to do it we're relying on the host of heaven and he is the lord of hosts to trust the heavenly host to do what we can and that is defeat the enemy to do things that only god does to reveal god and get rid of the enemy in fact second thessalonians tongue twister here talks about in the last days, that there will be lying signs and wonders. There will be miracles that happen in our day and age that are lying and wonder. I believe even with the Antichrist that he's going to be uh, assassinated, you know, part of the mark on the head, we a whole other study, but that there's going to be a false resurrection there and that the false prophet's going to do lying signs and wonders. It's going to look like this guy does miracles. I mean, there's so many things now, you know, show someone 100 years ago, FaceTime, talking to someone on the phone, they're going to think that's a miracle. But number six, uh, I'm sorry, one more thing. And again, I'm thinking of those TV preachers again. They're trying to do healings and services and all these other things. And not that God couldn't use it, but it's a sham and it's a disgrace. And it shouldn't be any reason for us not to believe in the real works of God. Number six, prophecy. Uh, this one I always enjoy, but speaking forth the word of God. Now in a sense, speaking forth, in a sense, teaching can be related to it, but it's really saying this is the word of God and how it directly applies to these, these things going forth. It could be speaking into someone's life, as it's been said. I've had times when I've been down with friends or counseling with other pastors and they just spoke a word into my life. And it wasn't a word of knowledge. It wasn't something else like that. It was a word of prophecy. Say, this is what the word of God is for your life. And again, it's not just for wisdom, but it's specific for them. But it's also, in the greater use of it, speaking forth God's truth about the word for the church. God's heart and vision and direction for the church. God's heart and vision and direction for our country or for uh, a mission. Um, 
but it also can be prophetic about things that haven't happened yet, like the future. Not just what we need to do, what God wants to bring to pass, but things that will happen. Like the man who tied himself up with Paul's belt and said, whose belt is this? Because they're going to be imprisoned. That was Paul's future. And, you know, they looked at it and they were like, well, Paul, this means you shouldn't go. And that's not the interpretation of it all. It's just saying that as you follow God, Paul, you're going to end up in jail and you're going to end up in prison and bound and eventually die. And again, it wasn't a reason not to go, but it was insight into what God's will would be. John in Revelation, like we studied, John was shown the future. That's prophecy. What would come to pass. And I think in simple form, it's just practically looking at the word and the direction of something and applying the two. Not necessarily such and such a date, but if we look at the past and we say, what well, God did in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God did the works in Bethsaida and Chorazin, that Sodom and Gomorrah repented, and we look at America and we see the things that America espouses. June is abomination month. June is the month that probably Sodom and Gomorrah was burned down in. And we don't think it's going to happen here. Well, why not? That's prophecy. I'm not saying the day or date, but God's word does it. God's word says it. Why do we not expect it? Verse 7. Uh, not verse 7. Uh, number 7. Discerning of spirits. I'm sorry, there's nine gifts here. Discerning of spirits. Distinguishing, discerning, and judging. Uh, it's knowing when you hear something that's just not right. It's not of God. Even if a preacher says it, even if I say it, and it's just the Spirit of God is going, no, 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 no. Being able to read the lines when someone's teaching something or there's a doctrine that's not biblical, even if you can't put your finger on it right away. Like you just know, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and all that, they're cults. You might not be able to argue with them right away, but you just know that this Spirit coming to you is not of God. Like Ashley's mom, before she got saved, Spirit of God working in her life kept her safe from those things. And we need this heavily in our day and age. I think we're very ignorant and lacking to discerning of spirits. That the church has let in doctrines of demons into its midst and teaches them from the pulpits. There's, I saw this sign in Oregon, and I'm not even going to say it just because of the thing, but it's related to Abomination Month. And it's like, this is a doctrine of demons. Does no one have discernment? Does no one have discernment with a pulpit? How much more so should we have discernment? Because it's not just the pulpit, it's the fault of the people who sit under that kind of teaching. But this can also be simply seeing where someone is coming from and discerning the truth in the matter, whether it's trustworthy or not. Whether that used car salesman is really selling you a bill of goods or not. You know, someone's buying a Civic, he's like, you can lie to me all day. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It's the best car I've ever owned. But no, I told him honestly about the things that were wrong with it. Number eight, various kinds of tongues. I know we're going long. I apologize. Uh, get into this. But uh, heavenly languages. We'll look at more of this in chapter 14 in death. But it's also earthly languages. The apostles at Pentecost. Everyone in the city heard them in their own language and they were from everywhere. But it's also praying in tongues. It's praying to God from the overflow of our heart with the prompting and the groanings of the Spirit. And I'll tell you, honestly, sometimes I pray to God in tongues. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm just overwhelmed about something. And then I believe God gives me the interpretation for it after, internally. I don't need anyone else to hear it. I don't need to be puffed up by it because it's at least a gift, but I say that it does edify myself with the Lord. Oh, the Lord knows me. The Lord hears me. He's so good, right? I won't study more in tongues, but tongues are always about God, praising God. It's never a word of prophecy through tongues. It's always to God. So I remember a friend on a mission, missionary trip in Mexico. You remember her, uh, Ash, but she went down there and apparently she spoke fluent Spanish with someone. It only happened once, but she doesn't speak Spanish. Gift of tongues. And it wasn't babbling, it was 
Spanish. Yeah. Interpretation of tongues, verse uh, <laughs> number nine. Uh, give an insight into what those tongues mean. It's not by the same person, right? You pray in tongues yourself, and God may give you the personal interpretation for yourself. But if you pray in a corporate setting, as we'll look at in chapter 14, someone else will get the ter- interpretation. And Paul says, even if, if no interpretation comes, no more tongues. But it's by someone who doesn't speak the language, whether it's a heavenly language or whether it's an earthly language. And maybe they're shocked to even understand. I, that was Spanish and I understood it. And it's always a word to bless God. The prophecy, again, does not come through tongues, but it's a bless God thing. And you can't learn this. You can't babble on and practice. Why? Because it's a gift. But you can practice it if you believe you have it. If you don't have it, seek it. But again, the Spirit works all of these. It's not us. We can't conjure it up. We can't do what Simon the Sorcerer thought and buy it. We can't do whatever the TV preachers are doing because they're not doing it right. But it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. And the gift is just that avenue that he works directly through. And he closes here. He says, dividing each to each one individually. Every one of us, irrespective of each other, yet somehow to work in conjunction with each other. We're given these gifts by God individually as he will. As he will. And God will. You ask him, God gives good gifts. These are the best gifts. These are better than the car. These are better than marriage. These are better than health. These are the things God will give you and he'll give to you liberally. We can't earn them. He gives them. We can't manifest them. He just shows up. And when they're used, they should edify us and they should edify the body and bring people to God. So as we close, I ask, do you earnestly, and I believe God asks, do you earnestly desire the gifts? Do you want that from God? Do you want that touch from God? Do you want that intimacy with God to be used by Him in those ways? Do you want that abundant life? Well, as we close in prayer, I'm going to pray for you. I want you to pray in your heart about those things and see what God might do because He desires to give them to you and they are his will for your life. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your will for us, that we can read your word and it's given to us and it's clear that these are the things you want for us, not for it to be showy or flashy or act like we're better believers or not, but really that we might know you better and live that life that you have intended for us. And so God, you tell us to earnestly seek and desire the gifts. And so we come to you this morning and ask you that God, we are desiring those gifts. We are seeking them. God, would you fill us all with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill the people here with your Holy Spirit as the things they're praying to you or desiring in their hearts now? God, would they come to pass? God, would you give them gifts? God, the gifts that you've given them, would you show them what they are? Teach them how to exercise them. Give them the faith to use them, to say that word. And even if they're wrong, sometimes you'll correct them. Just like you correct all of us. And we want that. Just like riding a bike. Oh, put your feet in the right way. Oh, you're going to fall off. And Hold the wheel. You know, you teach us how to use these gifts. So God, teach us. Use us. Not that we might gain fame from them, but that God, we might be a part of your kingdom coming. So let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you come soon and would you work mightily in our midst? In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. And may you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul With all our troubles left behind the door We drink first light until